0: Good morning, FCBC Walnut family and friends. This has been a difficult and taxing week for all of us, I'm sure. We're going through protests that came as the result of the unjust killing of George Floyd. Not only that, we're still navigating our way through a pandemic. There's so much that we need to hear from God's word. There's so much that we need to consider and turn to amongst God's people. And there's so much that God has put on our hearts that we're called to share with our words and our actions to a lamenting world. And so with that, I want to encourage you to consider these ways of following Jesus. One is to pay attention to what is happening around you, but also paying attention to your heart. What are you thinking? What are you sad about? What are you angry over? And to let those come to the surface so that you could do the second thing which is to process. Not only just to shut people down or to give all the answers, but to allow what you are feeling and experiencing and thinking to intersect with God's Word and the Gospel. To intersect with your understanding of right and wrong, your view of the world. To allow those things to bring together all the different compartments of your life and to present those things to God, asking Him for wisdom. To be able to be a source of encouragement to your friends who are hurting. To people that may be protesting and are angry over the injustices that we see around us. To people that may be confused and that need answers, but also sometimes they just need empathy. To process instead of jumping to the end without giving it the time that God is giving us now to make sense of things. Finally, is to point your heart to point your mind and to point others to Jesus there are truths in god's word that gives true lasting hope that is enduring there is truths about justice about people made in the image of god about what it means to love one another about what it means to strive for peace about what it means to make sense of the three institutions that god has created for humankind which is the family the church and government Point yourselves and point others towards Jesus and the truth revealed in Scripture. And do this together so that we're able to navigate through all of this with Christ leading us. It is with that then I have a few announcements to highlight for you. The first is an invitation for you to stay all the way to the end of the service today. Because after Pastor Hanley's sermon from Ezra 3, Pastor Albert will give an extended announcement on two particular topics. The first is a roadmap prepared by our reopening task force that shows us the big picture as well as the phases by which FCBC Walnut will take to regather at our campus. The second is a statement that FCBC Walnut supports and endorses as the one that represents our view and our take on the George Floyd situation. So please stay to the end for this so that you can hear this for yourself. The second announcement I want to highlight is about our missions offering. This is an offering that's taken on the side of our general offering that then goes to support the missionaries long-term as well as the short-term and local projects in which we send out teams. And so this fund is one that has been more neglected during this time when we've been away. And so if God has put on your heart to continue to support disciple-making locally and globally through the missions efforts that we support and we promote. Please consider giving to our mission fund. Finally, this month, we're gonna be celebrating as a church family, the accomplishments of all those that are graduating and are part of the class of 2020. Next Sunday, as a part of our online worship service or as a separate video, you're gonna be able to see the smiling faces of all of our graduates this year that have participated. And so you will see their photos, you will see their names, you will see their degrees. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity to help us to get acquainted with one another, but also just to simply rejoice with each other. And so be excited about this. I sure am. Also bring your family, bring your friends, allow them to join in this awesome opportunity that we have simply to praise the accomplishments and to rejoice with our graduates. Please join me now in a word of prayer before we go into God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask God at this time, Lord, that you will help us to be people who rejoice with those that rejoice, but also weep with those that weep. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can put our hope in you, Lord, that because of your son Jesus, that he has bore our sins, and as your image bearers, we are able to become sons and daughters of of our Heavenly Father because of what Christ has done for us and our trust in Him through repentance and faith. And so God, we know, Lord, that even this world is not perfect and it's far from just. God, that we are not only putting all of our hopes in this world, but we are looking forward to the return of Your Son, Jesus. And we are looking forward to the kingdom of God being established in fullness forever ahead of us. But Lord, in the meantime... God, we know that you're calling us, Lord, to be your hands and feet, to be people, Lord, that could extend your love and your justice to those that are near us, and also to be salt and light in the society that you have placed us. Lord, so help us to be people that will walk alongside others, whether they are hurting, whether they are angry, whether they are in our home, or whether they are in our community, and whether they are online, or whether they are people that you put on our hearts near and far. We pray Father, you would help us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Help us, Lord, to minister and to reach them with the gospel that comes from the work of your Son. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves to see, Father, that none of us are above reproach, but, Father, all of us are called to point to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith and as the only one who could bring about and deliver perfect, lasting, and pure justice Because he bore our sins and all the injustices of the world on himself, on the cross. So God, continue to prepare our hearts, Lord, to be merciful people. To be people that will speak the truth, but do it in love. And we thank you so much, God, for all that you have done on behalf of your people, Lord, so that we are able to be people that demonstrate your goodness and bear fruit that comes from transformed lives in the power of your Holy Spirit for the world. In your precious name I pray, Amen. Good morning, FCBC Walnuts.
1: Today is Wednesday when this sermon is being recorded. I need to say that uh, because this is 9 a.m. about Wednesday Because a lot can happen between now and Sunday in terms of current events. And so we pray that the Lord's peace would continue to, continue to fill this land and, and, or actually to play out in this land. We really need to pray for the Lord's peace. And I'm praying that what I say now will still be relevant as you're watching this Sunday morning at home. As Christians, we have the presence of God living within us through the Holy Spirit. And this means that the values of Christ must be echoed, reflected, and amplified through our words and through our deeds. We must be peacemakers, listeners, learners, and our response to all the turmoil and division that's going on in this world must be one of calm and must be one that seeks to unite and not divide. We cannot take lightly Racism, injustice, abuse of power, abuse of authority, and murder. We can't take any of those things lightly. At the same time, we cannot condone the violence and the rioting that comes from the same source of evil. And I've written about this, and I've spoken to this in various different fronts last week. But with everything that's going on in our nation, we must remember how desperately we need the presence of our Messiah And the good news is that through Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in the hearts of every single genuine believer. The Spirit of God lives in us, which means that everywhere we go, we can bring the peace of Christ through our actions and in how we love. That is the essence of being a Christ follower. That is the essence of being a believer. I've said in other places that this is a time where I am taking the time to listen and to learn. And I encourage all of you to take this time to listen and to learn to both, learn from both sides. We must take the time to listen and learn from our black American and our African American Christian pastors and Christian leaders and brothers and sisters in Christ to hear their story, hear their pain, understand from an evangelical perspective and from a Christian perspective what they are going through as Christians and how they struggle in ways where even as a minority, as a Chinese American, we may not struggle with. Listen and learn. At the same time, we must listen and learn from the good law enforcement and police officers who are risking their lives. Imagine what's, what it's like to be one of their family members. And, and these are good law enforcement officers, good ones who... who do not condone, but they condemn the murder of George Floyd, and they condemn systemic racism. And in many ways, they've they tried to build, bridge, build bridges with their communities in the same way where pastors, right? It's very different what we have to go through. In the same way where pastors attempt to build a bridge with their community, and whenever you hear about corrupt pastors, it sheds a bad light on all of us. Only when pastors fail morally, you don't have people rioting and trying to burn our churches down and trying to kill us, right? And, and so my heart goes out to the good. And the faithful law enforcement officers at the same time, we balance the stories of both. We hear stories of both and we be peacemakers. We stand in the middle to be agents of reconciliation. And I think that's what it means to be an agent of justice in a way where it reflects the biblical worldview. And so listen and learn to both sides, to both sides of the story, learn to empathize and remember that we stand in between as people who have the very presence of God within us and we can minister the gospel. Gospel of hope because the gospel frees, and we need to do more than just say that the gospel is the answer. We know that's true, and I'll say more about this in the end of the sermon during the at the end of the sermon when we get to our application. But the title of this morning's sermon is Restoring the Foundations of the Temple, Restoring the Foundations of the Temple, and the temple is all about God's presence. I want to start by allowing you to listen and learn and empathize with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. I want you to hear their story. I want you to understand why the temple was so important to them. You have to understand what's happened. They've come back from, from exile now, decades of exile, and there's all this rubble covering the foundations of the temple. You know, it's quite easy for the Babylonians, it was quite easy for them to destroy the structure of the temple. And so all this rubble, all this concrete, all this, all these materials are just piled up. The ruins of the temple stood there. But it was not easy, and I don't think that the Babylonians destroyed the foundations. So the foundations of the temple are still sitting there, but it's underneath all this rubble. So when you're calling the people who come back to invest in the work of the temple and to get their hands dirty and to rebuild the foundations, this involved a lot of cleanup. This involved a lot of physical labor where you have the men now now working together to to lift these, whether it's concrete or stones or, or burned wood, and to remove this rubble just so that they can see the foundations of the temple and begin to repair the foundations of the temple. Now, why go through all of this work? Why even build the temple again? They already had the altar we saw last week of sacrifice. They had what was essential. They could receive forgiveness through through the altar of sacrifice. They had the festivals to celebrate. Why restore the temple? Because it was about God's presence. I want you to see this quote from pastor and scholar uh, Derek Thomas in one of his sermons. And this is what he writes. He says, to the Old Testament saint, the temple represented the place where God was present, where worship was conducted, where sin was forgiven and atoned for, where blood was sprinkled, where the Holy of Holies was to be found, and the Shekinah glory was to be found, and the Ark of Covenant was, was to be found. Now, you and I, we have God's Word given to us, translated in different languages for us, where we can read and, and listen to the Lord. We can know the heart of God. We can study the word of God together. You and I, we can bow our heads and say, Father in heaven. And we can pray directly to God. We can pray individually. We can pray silently. We can pray together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that the Lord has forgiven us because we have Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the Old Testament people, the Old Testament saints. They did not have the luxuries and the blessings that we have under the old covenant. And so they longed for the presence of God to be with them. They knew that the temple was just a structure, but it symbolized the place where God would actually dwell. But there's more than that. If you see in today's passage, if you don't get anything, here's what I want you to see. They are taking pains to follow the plans of King David. What you have to understand is that God told David. So David had this heart to build the temple for the Lord. And so David came up with all these plans. These are God-ordained, God-plans you know, plans that would be God-honoring plans of, of how to organize the work and how to organize the people in the temple and, and what materials the temple would be built out of. But God told David, said, David, you will not build the temple. Your son will build the temple. And we know that at that point it was referring to Solomon And we know that in the Bible, David gave the instructions. Almost like you, if you're a parent, giving your business to your your son or your daughter and saying, you need to advance this business. You need to take it to the next level. Okay, here's the plans. You take it. You build it that 's what happened with David and Solomon, David told his son Solomon, Solomon, take these plans and follow it to a T, follow it to to the, the the dime because these are the instructions of the Lord, and Solomon built the temple so as as these returnees here in Ezra are trying to rebuild solomon 's temple they 're actually following the plans and instructions of David, and there 's the beautiful connection to you and me is that their hope was in the greater son of David. Their hope was in David's son would build the temple and they're praying for the son of David, the king of David, the everlasting king, the Messiah, that he would come. So here's their anticipation. They were going to work hard to rebuild the foundations. They would rebuild the temple to the best of their ability. And their hope, it was at the completion of this temple that the Messiah would come down from heaven, the everlasting Davidic king, the son of David, and that, and that the kingdom of Israel would be established. That was their hope. Their hope is our hope. Their hope was in Messiah. But you and I, having the New Testament, we know that the greater son of David that would build the true and better temple was not Solomon. Solomon would build a wonderful, beautiful temple, but the true and better temple would be indeed Jesus Christ. And, and so you can take Derek Thomas's quotes, and I want you to see this that if you were to put the New Testament saint into the picture, it would be to the New Testament saint, Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God among man. Through Christ. We can worship. Worship is conducted in the Spirit and through Christ. It's through Christ is where sin is forgiven and atoned for. It is the blood of Christ where which makes it possible for us to enter into the holies of holies symbolically, to enter into the presence of God through prayer and to draw near. It is through Christ where the glory of God was contained in the Son of God as He came in, in the form of man to dwell among us. And the Ark of the Covenant, the law of the Lord, is conveyed through Christ. Christ is the Word of God. The Word become flesh. And so we have Christ. So it is very different. And we know that in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus actually pointed to the second temple. Jesus actually pointed to The temple that Ezra's people and Nehemiah's people would rebuild. And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And of course, Jesus is not talking about a physical temple that he would raise up, but he's talking about the temple of his body. He's saying that crucify me, I will die for the sins of man, and in three days my body will resurrect, and that will end all sacrifices and bring forgiveness and salvation to the nations. And and we understand what Jesus is talking about. And that's the hope that the Israelites in Ezra's day and Nehemiah's day did not have, but they had a shadow of that through the temple. And so with that, I want to take you to point number one. Point number one, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezra chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Point number one is a pattern set by David. As they're rebuilding, they're following a pattern set by David because by going back to David, they are actually pointing forward to the hope of the coming Messiah. So this is where... This is how this Old Testament passage relates to you and I as New Testament readers and New Testament Christians. That when we see the pattern set by David, we see the pattern that points forward to the Messiah, the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. And um, we, we're going to see three things. I'm going to take you to the text. Okay, but there's three things specifically that I want you to see. That the ways that the materials were acquired, number one, the way they acquired, well, the way that they purchased the building materials goes back to the plan of David and the building of the first temple through Solomon. Secondly, the year and the month that they started to build, the second month points back to David And the way that David organized the Levites for service and worship is exactly what they're gonna do here in Ezra chapter 3. And if you're interested in reading all about this, you can read about this in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 to 29. It's too much for me to take you to this morning, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 to 29, and when you see Solomon executing this, you'll see this in 2 Chronicles and also in in parts of 1 Kings, like 1 Kings chapter 5, you'll see the execution of, of Solomon actually carrying through the plans of his father David. But so, so here's the first thing. In verse 7, you're going to see that they follow, by acquiring the building materials, they follow the exact order of Solomon and his father David. So here's what the Bible says. In, in Ezra chapter 3, In Ezra chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyranians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. So a couple things need to be explained here. What you see here is a picture of basic commerce and exchange. This is the same thing that happens today. Only we use money, but they're exchanging supplies. So what's what's happening is they're taking food, they're taking drink, and most likely this means wine from their uh, from their um, from, from Israel from Judah. They're taking wine and they're taking oil, and they're giving it to the Sidonians and the Tyranians, uh, and they're putting it on ships, right on on boats, and it would be carried across the sea to Joppa where these items would be you know unloaded from the ships and then in exchange you'd have cedar trees loaded from Lebanon and brought back to Israel to Jerusalem right and so what's happening these are the same steps that you see in 1st chronicles 22 and this is the same steps that are taken in second uh, in first kings chapter 5 and in second chronicles chapter 2 this is what Solomon did right they got cedar trees from Lebanon to rebuild to build the first temple and here Ezra's people are following the exact same steps instructed by David and executed by Solomon and when it says according to the grant that they had from Cyrus king of Persia there are different interpretations but I'm not taking this as a grant of money Okay. What I understand here that's happening is that, is that as they're exchanging these goods and getting these trees from Lebanon, that it was granted to them. Permission was granted. Permission was granted from Cyrus, the king of Persia. And how we understand this is when we build our building, we need a building permit from the governments, right? From the local county, from the authorities. In the same way, the people of Israel, they had a building permit, if you will. They had permission, blessing, and a grant from Cyrus, the king of Persia, Persia to purchase the materials, to transport these materials, and then to use these materials to rebuild the temple. And that was, that's what you see in verse seven, right? It's a very basic understanding of them following, following the order. Now the, the cities of Sidon and Tyre, uh, or, or Tyre were prominent cities located near J- Judah, and these were Phoenician cities. Right? So these are foreign cities that are being used by God to provide these materials for God's people. So that's the first thing. The way that they acquired their materials mirrors what Solomon did in executing the plans of his father David. But the second thing that you see is, in, in, is that, notice that it's in the second year and second month. And I want you to see this in verse 8 now, and I put that on the PowerPoint for you. Notice in verse 8 that the year and month that they began to build reflects the building of Solomon's temple. So now it says in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Je- Jezodak, made, made a beginning together, with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all that had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. And they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. Now the second year and second month, what is the significance of the second year? Well, the second year signals that the rebuilding happened two years after they returned from exile, two years. And when you read the rest of, of Ezra, and if you date this to the point of completion, that the second temple took a com- a completion, uh, it took seven years approximately to complete this entire project. So, so starting at the second year and measuring out to the day where this project is actually completed it took seven years. And what's significant is that Solomon's temple was also constructed in in seven years. Now, I am not reading anything magical into the number seven. I know that in the Bible, uh, the number seven has been used to symbolize completion in terms of the things of God. Now you can, you can see that and some scholars read that into the, into the text. What I want you to see and take away from this is that the mirror between this second temple and the time of completion with the time of Solomon's temple and seeing that this points you back to David, right? And so seven years. Now what about the seven? seventh the second month right starting on the second month is also when solomon started building the first temple exactly the second month and you can read about this in second chronicles chapter three verse two i I'm not going to put that up for you because i think it's a lot to go to go all over the place i don't want to take you all over the place this morning but in second chronicles chapter three verse two you read about exactly the second month and so once again the timing and and the dates and the time of the year they begin to build mirrors and reflects the building of Solomon's temple, tracing you back to the pattern of David. But also in verse 8, I want you to notice that they follow the way that David organized the Levites for service. We already read... At the end of verse 8, it says, From 20 years old and upward, the Levites were organized. You see that this is exactly how David organized the Levites. From 20 years old and upwards, he, he called the Levites to be organized in that way. But now I want you to go to verse 9. And verse 9 and 10, you read that it says, And, and Joshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Caniel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and their brothers. And when the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and, Levi, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to, notice that, it says according to the directions of David, King of Israel. So what you see here are, is the organization of the work. And you see the Levites, the spiritual leaders who would later operate in the temple, they organized the work. Of build, they 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 told the workers, here's what you're going to do, here's the word of God. It makes sense because the building of the temple was, was is part of Scripture now, we see. So it makes sense that the Levites, the people who are communicating the word of God and meeting the word of God and the priests are then communicating to the people, here's how you build God's house. Now, that's not the case today. You're not going to see me going over uh, to our construction site as the pastor and telling them how to build, right? You would see a disaster. The building would fall apart because I'm not an engineer, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And None of our pastors have that, that expertise. But back then, if they're following directions from the Lord, then it makes sense that it's God's servants that's organizing this. But more than that, I want you to see something that's beautiful, very different from us today. Imagine that as they're building, as construction is happening, you have a worship team leading praise and worship the entire time. Symbols of praise, songs of praise, worshiping God. Because they saw the building of this physical structure as an act of worship. They did not separate worship from building something for the Lord. The house of the Lord would be a house of worship, and they're worshiping now even without the building. And so that's why as they're building, yes, there's a dedication where they're going to worship when the, when the foundations are laid, but they're worshiping and praising God throughout. So imagine that. I think it'd be pretty tiring, but imagine that. So here's how you can apply it. I know not many of us are thinking about the building right now, but as, as the building is being completed, we should be praying from home. We don't have to be praying every moment, but we should be praying. I know a lot of you are praying about the reopening plans and the Lord's blessing and the Lord bring healing and a vaccine to the end of COVID-19. And I think now a lot of us are praying for, for the protests and what's going on in this world. But continue to pray. Don't forget to pray that whenever we build for God, there is a spiritual work to be done through the hearts of God's people. We are all to be priesthood of God, 1 Peter 2. We are all to be priests of God. And we all have the Word of God. And so we never stop worshiping and praying for the work of the Lord. And not only that, but we're talking about physical building. They're talking about the temple. But we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, that God's temple is a spiritual temple made of people. First Peter 2 says we are the stones, and Christ is the cornerstone. We are the living stones of God's spiritual structure. So we continue to pray for each other. We continue to build each other up. So as we're doing spiritual work, we're actually building each other up. We're building up the spiritual house of God by building up each other as brothers and sisters of Christ. Isn't that what our world needs now? The world needs to see less division and less divide and more building up. The world needs to see unity. The world needs to see leaders building each other up, leaders uniting people. And they need to see that from the church. And so that's my encouragement to all of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that as we build, this actually applies to us. We worship and we build each other up. But I want you to see, a li- uh, I've listed a few scriptures, and I just want you to see, and, and these aren't the actual verses, because there's a lot, but you can do a, a, a deeper Bible study, and you notice all of the pattern going back to David. In First Chronicles chapter 23, David organized the priests and the Levites, giving them specific instructions, including musical praise. I think that's beautiful, and I just want to make a statement about this. Think of the leaders in this world and how many of them are worship leaders. God's leaders are very different. David was, was the greatest king of Israel. Greater than Solomon, I will say. Because David made mistakes, but he was a man of repentance. He was a man after God's own heart. And God's king mediates worship. I, I know that God. there was a separation between a priest and a king back then. And David's hand had, had shed blood, so so. God didn't want David to do the work of a priest, if you will. But doesn't this point forward to Jesus Christ, who would be a king and a priest? A a king who leads us? A good king who mediates our worship and praise? That's a leader. That is what God calls for his leaders. His leaders are to be first and foremost worship leaders, to lead people to worship God. And so David said, David said, God, even though you don't want me to build this temple, I'm going to make sure as I organize the work that I am leading worship. Worship is more than song and praise. Worship is what we do each and every day. And when we gather corporately, it is what we do by following the Word of God. David is a good leader. David is God's leader. And David organizes people to lead other people to worship him. He organized the priests and the Levites in this construction project, giving them specific instructions to, to perform musical praise and worship. No wonder God calls him a man after God's own heart. First Chronicles 23. And in 1 Chronicles 23, verse 24, we see a reference to the Levites, age 20 and up. I'm going to read a little bit into this, okay? What is this? I mean, not only do you have back in the Old Testament, you're a man. You're an adult very early on, right? You're not talking about 18 or 21, but why 20? I think, you know, there's some responsibility here. There's some responsibility and wisdom and maturity that David could have said, okay, a 12-year-old, person descending from the family of Levite and being a Levite, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old. But you're talking about someone who understands their faith, who understands their heritage, and who has wisdom because that's what it takes for spiritual leadership. Yes, don't ever let anyone look down on you because you're young. And 20 years is very young, respectively. But but I think there's something, something that I want to see here that, that God's saying there's some wisdom. And people here in Ezra's day They're following this instruction. I don't know if there's anything magical about the number 20, but I think it's something about being a mature, a mature leader. Now, this is not an elder during that day who is much older, but, but you're seeing their young men stepping up at this point. Right and beginning to lead worship. Now, First Chronicles 28, David tells Solomon to follow the exact plans. And so this is just what's happening, is that David tells his son, a good father gives instructions to his son according to the Lord, and says, and says follow the, the, the instructions here that the Lord has blessed in building. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart and, and a man after God's word. And then in Second Chronicles 5, verse 13, Solomon follows through. You know Solomon started strong. We know that Solomon didn't always obey the the Lord, but Solomon in the beginning he follows his father. And then in, in Second Chronicles chapter five verse eleven, and in Second Chronicles chapter five, uh, chapter seven verse six, we see the praise that 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 echoes Ezra chapter three took place at the dedication of Solomon's temple. Let me say that again, okay? In Ezra chapter 3, when the foundations are laid, they had a dedication service of worship and praise. And the people broke out in a chorus of praise. And you're going to see that there's some cries of disappointment as well. But what's happening is this is exactly the same thing that happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and 2 Chronicles chapter 7 during the dedication of Solomon's temple. So we see a mirror between Ezra chapter 3 and what happened with David's instructions being followed through by his son Solomon. All of this is significant because it points forward to the Messiah. And once again I want you to hear their heartbeat. Their heartbeat is that in Ezra chapter 3 is our God has brought us back into the promised land. Our God has delivered us from exile. Our God has brought us back to rebuild the temple and their hope is that our God will bring the Messiah and our God will establish the temple. That's point number one. Point number two, the final three verses and point number, point number two is a chorus of praise and disappointment. That's what I want you to see in verses 11 to 13. A chorus of praise and disappointment. Let me read to you now verses, verses 11 to 13. Verses 11 to 13 of Ezra chapter 3, it says, And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But here's the contrast. Here's the anticlimactic ending. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. So the building is not even complete. They see the foundation. They already know it's not as glorious as Solomon's. And it says they shouted, um, they said they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouts from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from afar. So what you see here is there's a mix of praise and there's a mix of weeping and disappointment. So on one hand, there's shouts of, of shouts of joy, on the other hand, there's a lot of disappointment. And what they're saying is, wow, we're thankful that we have a temple, but this is not glorious like Solomon's temple. So naturally, many of the Israelites rejoice, but naturally as well, many who lived long enough to see Solomon's temple, they were disappointed. This is an anticlimactic moment. Let me point out a few things. When it says, when they sang for he is good, For his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. This is a combination of many biblical passages. But in particular, you see Psalm 100, Psalm 136, and Jeremiah 31. Psalm 100, Psalm 136, and Jeremiah 31. When it says, For God is good and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And ultimately, this is going to be conveyed when the Messiah comes. His goodness is going to be made evident to Israel. But this shows us something. That They follow the pattern of David, and their praise was met with disappointments because there's a purpose here. You ought to be disappointed because it's not perfect. Because the temple, first Solomon's temple and the second temple, was only meant to be a shadow, as we mentioned in our introduction, that points towards Jesus Christ. This temple is meant to be imperfect. This second temple in AD 70, we know through history, gets destroyed. And so immediately we understand that the reason why there's an anticlimactic ending is, as New Testament readers, to point us forward to the hope of Messiah through Jesus Christ. And so the big idea this morning is, and I couldn't contain it in one sentence, so there's two sentences. The big idea this morning is that Christ is the greater son of David. Christ, the greater son of David, fulfilled the purpose of the temple. That's the first thing, is that Christ, the greater son of David, fulfilled the purpose of the temple. We know that Solomon built the temple, the the, the glorious temple, the the first son of David. But that's not what the prophecies were ultimately pointing towards. It is the greater son of David that would build the temple that David could not build. Because David could not build the spiritual temple of God. David could not make atonement for the sins of man, an everlasting and final and perfect sacrifice. Only his greater son, Jesus Christ, could do that. So Christ, the greater son of David, fulfilled the purpose of the temple. That's the first big idea. The second big idea is that the Son of God dwelt among us offering his life as the perfect sacrifice for sin. That was the function of the temple. The function of the temple was a symbol of God's presence dwelling among man because the temple was the place where they went to have their sins atoned for and to make sacrifices for their sin. And the Son of God dwelt among us. He is the presence of God. He is the living temple that walked and dwelt among Human, the human race representing the presence of God Himself among us. The Son of God dwelt among us. He is the true and better temple. And He offered with His life the perfect and final sacrifice for sin. So, two big ideas. Christ, the greater Son of David, fulfilled the purpose of the temple, and the Son of God, Christ, dwelt among us, offering His life as the perfect sacrifice for sin. The temple represents God's presence in the Old Testament, and Christ. And you and me, his church, represents God's presence in this world now. And as I mentioned in our introduction, there's a lot that we need to think about that applies for us today. As agents of redemption and reconciliation, as peacemakers, we have the presence of God living in us. And I just want you to see two passages from the Old Testament, what it would mean for God's people to to bring his presence into Nations the rage, and people the rage, people who divide. And the first passage that comes to heart and comes to mind is Matthew A uh, Micah, not Matthew. Micah six verse eight. In the context of God calling His people to covenant faithfulness, the, the prophet Micah wrote, "He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to, but to do justice and to love kindness? and to walk humbly with your God. Beloved, this is only possible through Jesus Christ. If you have Christ living in you, if you have the Holy Spirit, then in what you do in this world, it ought to convey the justice of God. And to love kindness, not anger. And to walk humbly with your God, even when you experience righteous anger. The translation of that through the presence of God must be mercy, justice, and kindness, not rebellion, and not anarchy. Right, And so the way that we convey God's presence to people is by doing justice, by loving kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And I mentioned that this is difficult to do when we don't have empathy. But how do you empathize with people? How do you empathize with both black and African Americans and other minorities? And how do you empathize with families and of police officers and police officers but to listen to them? To, to not broad stroke people, to not overgeneralize and throw everybody into the same categories, but to listen to people's stories and then to, to, to hear them out and then to teach other people to empathize. Parents, teach your children to empathize. Teach them to listen and to learn. And then we can speak words of love and then we can lead people through our actions. Isaiah chapter one, verse 17. It says to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widow's cause. Right? Learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widow's cause. Notice the key word learn. This is not something that's natural for us. What does it mean to do good? We need to learn. We learn from our Messiah. We learn from listening and then we seek justice through prayer and we seek justice through our actions to correct oppression and to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widow's cause. Notice that the fatherless and the widow's cause, these are helpless people during the Old Testament time. These are orphans and widows, people who could not defend themselves. And and I just want to read to you, I'm not going to put this up on a quote, but I want, you to, I want to read to you the end of a statement released the other day from our former president, George W. Bush. And he said, and it's a long statement. I encourage you to go to the website of the Bush Foundation or whatever it is and read the whole statement. But he says, quote, We serve our neighbors best when we try to understand their experience. We love our neighbors as ourselves when we treat them as equals. In both protection and compassion, there is a better way, the way of empathy and shared commitment and bold action and a peace rooted in justice. Oh, how I pray that America would have these types of leaders. Leaders that unite and not divide. Leaders who call God's people and people in general to come and love our neighbors ourselves and to consider what it means to protect, to show compassion, and to see a better way. Beloved, we have the better way. The better way is through Christ. The better way is the gospel. But we must live out the gospel. And we all pray For the Lord to teach us how to do that uniquely, wisely, and and in a way that's God-glorifying. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we come before you with hearts that are heavy. We come knowing that we want to learn, we want to listen, and we want to empathize. But more than that, Lord, we want to listen to your word. Father, this is a beloved church. This is a church with people who love you and who love each other help us, Lord, to love Others, help us, Lord, teach us how we can be a positive impact representing your presence in this world. We don't know how to. Sometimes, as honestly, as a Chinese-American, I don't know what my role is. I don't know what to do. I know it is to disciple our people, and I know it is to lead people and point people to God. But, Lord, give us a way. How do we do this wisely? Give us the better way through the gospel. Father, I want to pray for our church as we're talking about reopening, and we're still in this pandemic. Give us your wisdom. Help us to unite under the gospel of Jesus Christ and under your word. Father, help us to know what it means to be your people. And so, Lord, give us that wisdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, we love you more than you know. Have a blessed Sunday.
2: Good morning, church. This morning, I have two important announcements to make to you. First is concerning the reopening of the church. I want to share with you the roadmap that we are proposing. On the reopening task force, uh, before we come to the roadmap, we had made some consultation with uh, three support groups. The first group is concerning legality. We asked the trustee of our church to look into the legality aspect of it and also asked them to check with the insurance company to make sure that we are covered when we reopen. We are still waiting for the uh, response. And secondly, we have uh, consulted the medical team uh, of our church, uh, those who are doctors and nurses and pharmacists and and dentists, to give us consultation on advice on how to reopen and the speed and the way to reopen. And thirdly, uh, we also, of course, as a pastoral team and the admin staff, we meet together uh, regularly to see how to best reopen. And we also consulted professional cleaning services and companies uh, concerning how to clean and how to disinfect our facility. And of course, we also look for supplies and equipment vendors to make sure we begin to know how much we need and uh, how to stock up for the reopening process. So it is in this consultation of the support groups that we come up with this roadmap and I wanna share with you today. With the roadmap, and remember, we have four guidelines. First of all, legality. Secondly, safety. And thirdly, sustainability. And fourthly, God glorifying. In terms of legality, uh, since the governor Newsom has announced two weeks ago on the uh, opening, reopening of the church under a certain guideline, uh, legally, we have taken care of that as long as we keep a number of less than 100 people coming together. So our focus is on the safety and sustainability, and God-glorifying. And in light of that, we have three stages of reopening that we want to share with you today. The first stage is a stage of preparations. Uh, That will happen in May and June. Uh, Since May and June, we have assembled a team of uh, reopening task force. And through the consultation of the support groups, uh, we also sent out surveys. We surveyed the whole church. We survey the medical teams. Uh, we survey also the small group leaders and core teams. And basically, uh, the consensus uh, has been to do it slowly, to do it cautiously, and to make sure that it is safe before they feel safe and feel ready to come back. So it is with that consultation and that response that we also come up with this roadmap and we begin to prepare our facility for readiness. We begin to look for supplies and equipment to stock up for a few months of supply of disinfectants and sanitation and and tools uh, to clean up the church. And then we also come up with a communication plan and so that we are able to let you know what's happening and where we are. And this presentation is part of the communication plan. So basically in June, we are wait and see. Since many churches has opened, We want to see how they are doing. We want to make sure there's no spike uh, in uh, the, the coronavirus. We want to make sure other churches are not getting infected since they're reopening. Then we feel safe enough to bring our people back to the reopening process. And that will happen in June. And then we will move into July, the second stage. In July will be the stage of getting ready. More readiness in terms of facility. Uh, how to draw the line, how to come one-way traffic, how to go out, how to park your car, and how to uh, disinfect yourself, and how to check the thermometer, how to check your temperature, and and things like that. And then we want to insert a a helper's team, uh, volunteers to come and help us together, how to usher people, how to safeguard everything, and how to clean up, and things like that. And then we're going to have a staff training Not just the volunteers, but the pastoral team, the admin staff, we want to train together so that we have a standard of operation how to keep our church clean and also how to make sure that we can keep social distancing. And then we will develop protocol check-off. Meaning, before you come to church, there are things that you need to check off and be ready. When you come to church, there are lists of things to do. When you enter the worship hall, there are things that you can do and things that you can't do. How to use the restrooms and how to move about in different exits and entrances and things like that. And then how to get back to your car. And when you get home, what are the things that you need to observe and do? Uh, So protocol check-off will also be developed during this time. And then when all these are ready, we will begin a soft opening. A soft reopening means the leadership, the pastors and deacons and officers and small group leaders and all the volunteers and helpers We want to worship first and get a first-hand experience of how it feels like when we have less than 100 people worshiping in the MAC and keeping social distancing. And how the movements of people and the flow of the traffic will give us an indication of how difficult it is to uh, uh, enforce social distancing, uh, what are the realistic to do and what are the realistic to expect. So for the soft opening we are thinking about maybe one or two or three reopenings to give us confidence on how to lead our people to come back. And that will happen in July. And once that is done, then we are more ready to move into stage three in August. And stage three will be reopening. We will start with a step one. The step one is reopening of worship. Worship is supreme in our Christian experience. So we'll start with worship only. Uh, we will spread out the three worships on Saturday and Sunday so that we are spaced out and allow time for disinfecting, for sanitation uh, process to happen. Uh, so maybe two services on Saturday and one service uh, on, on Saturday or vice versa. But we will open them up and let the worship run for a few weeks until we feel confident until the flow is going well. Only then, we'll be ready to open up for small groups in step two. The small groups will be reserved mainly for young adults and adults, for small groups. And also, we will monitor the small groups while we have the worship here and see how the interactions and social distancing can happen for a few weeks and and monitor the whole process. And only then we are ready to move into step three, where turf, this college group, collegians, will be able to reopen their small groups of fellowships and things like that. And then, again, we will see, wait and see, how things flow and how to improve the whole process. Step four, step four, there's no, no date because we are waiting for the vaccine to be developed, that we are all receiving the vaccine, and uh, the vaccine begins to kick in, then the most vulnerable groups like the seniors, those with pre-existing medical conditions, and children and young children will be able to come back. That means by the step four, the whole church should be able to come back and worship together. This is as far as we can see on the roadmap of reopening. But remember, this schedule can be changed due to the overall impact Of COVID-19 pandemic. It may speed up. It may drag on further. If there's a second wave. If there's a spike. uh, If if a lot of churches are infected. We are not going to follow this. Roadmap. Because it's going to wait. So that people are safe. uh, And it is sustainable. And it is God glorifying. Because we care for each other. And also care for our neighbors as well. So continue to pray for the a reopening task force as we think about the details and recruit people to come up with a protocol checkoff list um, so that we are able to do it well and make sure that we think through the whole process for you to come back safely and to reworship and to reopen our church and worship together for the glory of God. So pray for us. Um, secondly, I want to make an important announcement on the statement on the death of George Floyd. The Southern Baptist Convention has an uh, open statement, a public statement on how we feel and where we stand. And it is being printed in the worship bulletin. Uh, I want to summarize it and also let you know this is where we stand as a church. Today, the first Chinese Baptist Church, Walnut, stands together with the Southern Baptist Convention to grieve the death of George Floyd, who was killed on May 25th 2020 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The horrific images and information available to us pointing to the sad reality that much work need to be done in racial inequity and injustice in our country. We grieve to see examples of the misuse of force and call for these issues to be addressed with speed and justice while we thank God for our law enforcement officers who uphold justice with dignity and integrity. We also lament when some law enforcement officers misuse their authority and bring unnecessary harm on the people they are called to protect. The scriptures teach us that all human beings, both male and female, of all ethnicities, colors, and ages, are sacred because we are made and created in the image of God. The scriptures condemn murder, misuse of authority and force, and calls us to love others and protect the vulnerable. We pray for George Lloyd's family and friends, and we greatly desire to see the misuse of force and any inequity coming to an end. Therefore, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot remain silent. When our brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors are mistreated, abused or killed unnecessarily, and therefore we pray for our local, state and national leaders as they seek justice and call on them to act quickly and diligently to ensure that these situations are brought to an end. May God help us. Let me lead you in prayer. O oh Lord. When injustice stirs up righteous anger, may God allow a healthy and effective legal system to turn things around, ushering in a just, equal, and righteous society. Lord, in the midst of unrest and violence, may God protect the law enforcement officers and empower them to bring our nation back to safety and stability. O Lord, when troublemakers create riots, loot, and turn violent, may God manifest your divine righteousness according to your will. Lord, when we are fearful and anxious, may your peace that surpasses all understanding reign in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand together in your respective home, and receive the benediction from God. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever, in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you.